Welcome to the City Church Podcast. We hope that you will be abundantly blessed by this message. If you would like to find out more about the city, please log on to our website, www.thecity.sg. Good morning, church. There is no KFC delivery today, uh, and but I do want to highlight a delivery of meals that we've been doing to the dorm that we've adopted. That's AAD. Um, you can check it out on our website. Uh, we deliver meals and stuff. And on the webpage, there are ways that you can check out how different ones, your, your family, your friends can contribute. But more so, there are also encouraging stories that we posted on there and there are more stories coming. So if you haven't checked out that page, check out uh, our website and the page on giving uh, and love our city. And you can see uh, the stories there and ways you can contribute. It'd be really great. Please get on there. Otherwise, no KFC next year. <laughs> just kidding. Start off with a story. I wanted to just uh, get us uh, uh, kickstarted. Is there was this very famous man who um, is known for making really powerful political speeches. So one day, uh, another guy was kind of like an interview. Asked him, uh, you know, you must feel very thrilled. Um, very flattered whenever you give a speech, you know, places uh, get filled up to overflowing. So the man thought for a minute and he said, pretty honestly, yeah, I do feel flattered, but whenever I feel that way, I always remind myself that if instead of giving a political speech, I was to be hanged, I'm sure the crowds would be double the size. Uh, and, and that's just very telling. Uh, and I thought it's a little funny, but it's telling in two ways. One is human nature, right? We tend to gravitate towards what is sensational, what's scandalous, very much so. And second is also we're telling that the man knows better than to feel flattered by the size of his crowd, right? Uh, of course, the reverse is true. There's no crowd here, but I know. I know you are watching this uh, at home, uh, so good morning. And especially if you're joining us for the first time, tuning in for our online service, uh, we're really glad to see you. Drop a hi in the comments. We would love to get to know you. And so today we're going to look at gentleness. And uh, I wanted to delve a little bit on human nature because I think as we look at each fruit every week, uh, uh, you know, it's good to be reminded that what we're really looking at is how our human nature, our sin nature, oftentimes kind of, you know, is, is what we need to combat and, and, and deal with when we want to walk in the Spirit and, and just cultivate the fruit of the Spirit in our lives. And, and what we're recognizing is that only God has that grace to transform us inside out. Uh, and so as we're leaning into the rest of the fruits every week, I just ask that, you know, we posture ourselves to be transformed by God's grace, and not just as individuals, but together in our life groups, uh, whenever we are in connection with each other, in our calls, in our conversations, in our texts, right? just to be reminding and spurring each other on to uh, allow God's grace to transform us. And so we're leaning into gentleness today. What we're going to do is we're going to define it and then we're going to talk about how it's displayed and then how it's developed in our lives. So we'll kick out with this prayer. Um, join me uh, with this prayer. Holy Spirit, we ask that you fill us with yourself. We ask that you cause your fruit to ripen in us. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. 
and uh, we choose to open our ears and turn our hearts towards you. Uh, we ask that God, as we uh, lean in, we would learn from you, we would hear from you, and we would take on your nature, and we would learn to follow in your footsteps, and so that people will know that we are your disciples, not by our doing, but by your grace. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, you ready? Let's jump right in. First of all, we're going to talk about defining gentleness, right? Uh, because I think there's a lot of nuances to the word. Uh, love, we kind of have an idea, maybe joy, uh, goodness, but then gentleness, right? What's that? Now, let's start with just acknowledging, first of all, that the culture we live in is far from gentle. Right. We live in an aggressive, competitive, very in-your-face kind of culture. Um, doesn't matter which society, I think most of the world would be uh, those that prefer the strong over the weak, right? where the strong voices dominate um, and uh, those that are not as vocal will get trampled on. Right? So there is kind of this notion uh, or, or like a negative view of gentle people. Right. And part of that negative view would include things like uh, the notion that being gentle means being weak, right? um, not strong, or false modesty, how about that? Um, or it could be feminine fragility, right? being, just, you know, uh, being gentle is a feminine, is a very fragile thing. I think some of us have that notion. Being gentle also has the, the society's negative view on it as cowardice, uh, a coward, like a, a spinelessness, um, a kind of indecision, or someone who has no conviction, uh, perhaps someone who's gentle like that, or someone who like is okay, very tolerant, um, okay with just about anything, or worse is indifference, right? I think we don't always associate gentleness like that, but I think generally there is a view of it being that way, right? It, it gives that notion. Now in scripture, uh, in both the Hebrew and the Greek, uh, there have been a lot of difficulty in translating the original word, words very accurately, right? As with many Hebrew words and, and some Greek words. So the words that are usually used and it's translated into in our English versions of the Bible are the words gentle, humble, lowly, poor, um, sometimes afflicted, and the closest is the word meek, right? Meek. And so you get in Greek, the original word is praus, okay? You can see on the slide, praus is uh, gentle or meek. Uh, and then gentleness or meekness would be prautes, right? Prautes. So even for Aristotle or Plato, the great philosophers, actually gentleness is viewed as a virtue much more than in our contemporary society. Like in their time. And so George Bethune, I'll read a quote from him. He's a Dutch reformed pastor called George Bethune. Perhaps no grace is less prayed for or less cultivated than gentleness. Indeed, it is considered rather as belonging to natural disposition or external manner than as a Christian virtue. And seldom do we reflect that not to be gentle is sin. Wow, seldom do we reflect that not to be gentle is sin. That packs a punch, right? Um, so in their understanding of the virtue, 
uh, being meek or gentle has a uh, relation to someone who is very careful with words, um, someone who soothes anger with words, right? That's someone who's gentle. Or it can refer to the use of like an ointment to remove the sting in a wound. Uh, that's paus, right? Uh, also, picture um, a child telling his physician to treat him with gentleness. That's a praus. Um, and also someone who treats others with tact, with dignity, you know, esteem them and, and uh, respectfully. That's someone who's praus or, or someone who's meek, right? Now, the imagery I found very helpful to understand gentleness uh, in the biblical sense is the image of war horse. Uh, and I'll show you a picture on the slide. So war horse time, in the time of the ancient Greek, the Greek army would rally in the wildest horses from the mountains and kind of shut them in and break them in for over a few months. They have a, a tough regime for the horses and they'll break them in, they'll do all kinds of training. So, so a horse that would have uh, reached the requirements of being broken in, being tamed, uh, from being a wild horse to a tame one, able to follow commands and all that, broken in successfully, fulfilling the requirements of what a war horse should be, is a horse that is prowse, a prowse horse. Uh, that's the term that is used here in the Greek. And so uh, a picture a, a prowse stallion, a wild stallion, who has been tamed. It's not that the, the horse is no longer strong, or determined. Uh, the horse is still determined, strong, passionate, and the horse is, um, you know, still uh, very able, right? What is different is that it's no longer unruly, um, out of control, rebellious, um, and, you know, no more destructive in, it, in its tendencies. That's, that's the kind of horse that's maintained. It's a horse that's submissive to his master. Right? And, and it's a horse that doesn't shy away from danger, but actually would stand firm even in the, in the, when cannons are firing all over, or at the sound of the master's voice would charge into battle, uh, unafraid. Uh, at the slightest touch of the master would stop or stop to a whisper. Right? That is the picture of a horse. So you get this sense of power that is under authority, Strength under control. It's beautiful, right? A war horse. Uh, to elaborate that further, strength under control is to understand gentleness as this. A sensitivity of disposition and kindness in behavior. Right? A sensitivity in disposition and kindness of behavior that is founded on strength and prompted by love. Right? That is, uh, you know, there's a lot there to unpack. Founded on strength and prompted by love. Jonathan Edwards writes this, the great Puritan. He says, gentleness is the Christian spirit. In fact, he goes to say, all who are truly godly and are real disciples of Christ have a gentle spirit in them. So perfect time right now to do a gentleness gauge, okay, with everyone. Now, you don't have to shout out your answers or put it on social media, but on a scale of one to 10, one to 10, one being you don't have a single cell of gentleness in your body, in your person. That's one, okay? It's non-existent. The ten is you are gentle to the level of uh, like a guru, okay? So one to ten. How would you rate gentleness in yourself? Let's give you a couple seconds. Hold that rating, you got it? Okay, you hold that thought. 
And I'm going to bring up this question again later. Okay. So we've talked about defining gentleness. Now let's move on and talk about how gentleness is demonstrated. Okay. And the supreme exemplar of gentleness in its true sense, I would say, is the God of Israel. Right. Uh, throughout some references, so like in Isaiah 40, where it talks about how lead tend to the young, right? Uh, God, that's the picture of God who tends to the young. First uh, Kings 19, where instead of uh, showing up in fire, earthquake, and strong wind, uh, God turns up in a gentle whisper, right? Um, and how about Job 15, Job 15:11, which talks about how God consoles with gentle words. Okay, this is Israel's God. Okay, the supreme exemplar. Now we move on. I want to show you a couple instances where Jesus, how Jesus is portrayed as the Messianic King, right? Our Lord and Savior Jesus. There is an Old, an Old Testament and New Testament connection. I'm going to show you Matthew 21 verse 5, where it says, Say to the daughter of Zion, Behold, your king is coming to you, humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a beast of burden. It's in fact borrowed from Zechariah 9 verse 9 where it says, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout aloud, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you. Righteous and having salvation is he, humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. And in the collection of servant songs in Isaiah, so I will pull out Isaiah 42, verse 2 to 3. Uh, some of you would have seen this verse. It says, He will not cry aloud or lift up his voice or make it heard in the street. A bruised reed he will not break and a faintly burning wick he will not quench, he will faithfully bring forth justice. Now, I like kind of the slight, uh, it's, you can almost miss it, but if you look at it carefully again, you can see this almost contrast of like uh, a, a person who would not even harm like a, a fly, right? He wouldn't hurt a fly, sort of. A bruised reed he will not break, and a faintly burning wick he will not quench. And yet he is the same one who is a servant, who is powerful still to bring forth justice. He will faithfully bring forth justice. Now, not only that, if you look at Jesus further, it's not just that he behaved gently. It is because he is by nature gentle, right? Dane Ortland writes this in his book, Gentle and Lowly. The God revealed in the scripture deconstructs our intuitive predilections, our, basically our intuitive preconceptions of what God should be, and startles us, shocks us, with one whose infinitude of perfections is matched by his infinitude of gentleness. Indeed, his perfections include his perfect gentleness. He is perfect and perfectly gentle. Recall this verse that we may be very familiar with, right? Matthew 11, 28, 29, right? right? Come to me, all you who are weary, right? Verse 29 is where Jesus says, Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. Why? For I am gentle and lowly in heart. Do you know in all the four Gospels, there is no other place where Jesus talks about his heart like this. No other place in the four Gospels, in Jesus' speech and his teachings or whatever. This is the only occasion where Jesus points out his heart and his nature. I am gentle and lowly 
in heart. I think that's hugely significant for us to come back to again and again, that Jesus, above all the things he could have used to describe himself, he could say, you know, uh, learn from me, for I am knowledgeable, I am wise beyond all other persons, um, I am the most loving, I am the most generous, I am full of joy, and he is all these things. But he chose the words, I am gentle and lowly in heart, which is really significant. And I hope we will come to see even more why when we talk about developing gentleness in our lives. Now, the thing is, to pause for a moment, I think deep down, many of us struggle with being gentle and meek, right? And I speak to kind of two spectrums uh, of people here, and perhaps people kind of uh, in between, you know, we vacillate between uh, uh, sometimes, uh, and this is kind of like the flawed view of being gentle, um, some of us feel we need to be much more uh, assertive, much more willing to kind of put ourselves out there and you know not hide behind others or and that kind of is sometimes maybe some of us who feel naturally a bit more gentle uh, we we fall on that side of the spectrum and then there are some of us you're listening to this you're like yeah man i, I am nowhere near uh gentleness i there's there's nothing gentle in in me as a person and and i don't know how i'm going to take this i think either way we struggle with being meek why we struggle with it uh, in terms of we struggle with meekness in God and we struggle with meekness in ourselves and also other people uh, for two reasons, among others. It's not exhaustive. One of them is, I think it's because we have this inability to handle offenses. Whether you are a quiet or outgoing person or someone who's vocal or you're not very opinionated, either way, I think we are unable, unable to handle offenses oftentimes. Uh, we get hurt, we get slighted very easily, offended by something that someone does or does not do, uh, and we don't know how to handle that, right? Uh, I remember in Numbers 12, where uh, Moses' brother and sister rose up to speak against him, uh, in Numbers 12, Miriam and Aaron uh, say, like, why do you have to listen to you? Uh, but it's interesting, in that same passage is where God actually pointed out, uh, I mean, in Scripture, it's pointed out that Moses is the most humble man among all on earth, uh, in that same passage, uh, in that same instance where he could be offended, he was really wonderfully, uh, he handled that offense super well, and the scripture tells us he is the most humble man in all of earth. Second thing is why we struggle with meekness in God or others is that there is an inability in us to conquer our pride. I think whether you think you're an egotistic person or not, all of us have ego, right? All of us have some level of pride. Uh, and uh, it is not altogether bad, but our ego can really get in the way of a lot of things that God wants to do in us, in our lives. And uh, that's why in Jeremiah 9.23, uh, we were reminded, and that's not the only occasion in Scripture, but that like if any man were to boast, you know, let him boast in nothing except this, right? To boast in like God alone. Uh, because I think oftentimes our ego, uh, when we feel driven to accomplish something or be somebody, uh, uh, to assert ourselves or whatever it is, uh, it's, it's driven by pride, right? Pride becomes like this fuel uh, for us to um, achieve, to be who we want to be and do what we want to do, uh, even if it is for noble things. 
uh, still, it is pride that prompts us. But remember how we talked about uh, gentleness is a sensitivity of disposition that is founded on strength and prompted by love. Not by pride, but prompted, compelled. And so much we need to grasp what it is to be prompted by the love of God, much more so than our pride or our being offended. Right? And, and on that level, I think we do struggle with it, but we recognize the need to develop in it because it is a fruit of the Spirit. Think about Paul. Before Paul was Saul, right? Saul was, was he a meek man? No. I, I'm pretty sure he was not a meek person. He was not a gentle, gentle person. Uh, he was uh, definitely strong in conviction. Uh, he was a strong uh, leader, authoritative, um, influential. Uh, he was of high caliber and all that. Uh, but he battled with his flesh, right? And so when Jesus encountered him, and from the point where Saul became Paul, and he received, uh, he, he said yes to follow Jesus for the rest of his life. He became a changed man. I'm pretty sure he still battled a lot of his flesh, right? That's why he would write things like, you know, what I want to do, I do not do, and yet what I don't want to do, I end up doing. Because he had, he understood there is a battle between the flesh and the things of the spirit. And uh, that is why he writes in Galatians, you need to walk in the spirit. Jesus changed him uh, so much so that uh, he would write things uh, like in Galatians 6, 1. Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. And then he writes in 2 Timothy 2, he writes to Timothy, The Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, but kind to everyone. Verse 25, correcting his opponents with gentleness. Philippians 4 verse 5, let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. I think the reason why he highlights this so much, he sees how essential it is, but not only that it is important to our Christian faith to be gentle, to let our gentleness be evident to all, but it's because it transformed him and he knows the power of this meekness to transform other people's lives as well. He has become this like prowess, uh, guy, he is a meek horse, you know, in God's presence. God transformed him, and he sees the transformative gentleness, the power that it did in him, how it changed him, and and the power it has to change those he discipled and those that they in turn disciple. He saw the power it did to subvert the culture that is power hungry, that is status hungry, uh, and all those things. It, it it changed the way he viewed the world. It transformed him, and so transformed people transform others, right? And that's what happened to Paul. Charles Swindoll writes this, In our rough and rugged individualism, we think of gentleness as weakness, being soft and virtually spineless. Not so. Gentleness includes such enviable qualities as having strength under control, being calm and peaceful when surrounded by a heated atmosphere, emitting a soothing effect on those who may be angry, and possessing tact and gracious courtesy that causes others to retain their self-esteem and dignity instead of losing the gentle gain. Instead of being ripped off and taken advantage of, they come out ahead. Now, all that doesn't mean to say that uh, being meek has no cost, has no challenge. I think we recognize that it's costly. It's costly sometimes to kind of uh, restrain, right? Um, our words or our actions uh, uh, in order to be gentle. There are things, opinions or whatever we want to say or do. There is impatience in us. It's costly, it's challenging. 
And, and yet, I see even examples in our very own church community. I can name people who have demonstrated a gentleness that is because of their love for God and because of what God has done for them. And in our own family too, I think oftentimes in our parenting, even as I prepared this message, just, you know, like, you know, punch left, right, center, just feeling so convicted because God, you're so gentle. And so often we're so impatient in our dealings with our children, our parents, our siblings, our friends, that we are so not gentle. And yet, you know, we see how gentleness in Jesus changed us, not by force. And that's how uh, people get changed and hearts get touched and lives are transformed. But it's challenging, it's costly. Psalm 37, uh, it's pretty long, we won't reach the whole thing. But in Psalm 37 verses 7 to 11, it tells us of how sometimes uh, uh, it, it takes patient endurance because it looks like the wicked are benefiting, right? Uh, the evil succeed in their ways and they carry out their wicked schemes. But the text goes on to say, but the meek will inherit the land. Basically like, hold on, you know, don't give up hope in God. Meek will inherit the land and enjoy peace and prosperity. Which brings to mind what we often know, right? Matthew 5.5 5, Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. And this is a long view uh, of what happens in our world today, what happens in our households, in our society, to remember that even when it seems like, you know, evil people prosper and all that kind of thing, there is a long view that at the end of the day, the meek will inherit the earth. Why? Because we trust that God is present and He is able. Let's move on and talk about the third part. We've talked about defining gentleness, demonstrating gentleness. Let's talk about developing gentleness. I want to highlight how difficult it is to imagine gentleness in these last days. I think really, um, as, as we are in the last days, all the more there is a sense of like um, a sense of injustice at the evil and perversion that's around and so much immorality and just so much harshness and hostility among humanity and one another and there's so much brokenness um, and yet um, it, it, it like Paul said let your gentleness be evident to all the Lord is near and being gentle just like Jesus, having that strength under control is out of a trust that God is sovereign. It's basically an active and deliberate acceptance of circumstances that are undesirable. An active and deliberate acceptance of undesirable circumstances that are wisely seen as only part of a larger picture. God has that bird's eye view. And Jesus endured the suffering. And just picture him as being led like a lamb to the slaughter, right? Um, the way that he did not defend himself, uh, the way that he would appear uh, like he's not strong. You know, he, he, he seemed weak in the eyes of the people, even in the eyes of his own disciples, but it was for the sake of his disciples, lives being transformed. He knows he needed to die, be buried, and raised again. Jesus endured for the sake of His disciples' transformation so that they see how He, in His way, that is above our ways, His meekness, in His faith in the sovereign plan of redemption, 
they would then be transformed to transform the world, right? I love how uh, this is pointed out in this book by Dane Ortland, where John Owen, the Puritan, writes about, uh, he, you know, he did this exposition on Hebrews that I think took about 20 years of his life to write. He, basically a commentary and an exposition of a, the whole book of Hebrews. And John Owen wrote about how there is an absolute sufficiency to the gentle disposition of Jesus, okay? the gentleness of Jesus. He, it is absolutely sufficient. If it was not absolutely sufficient, you, you, you know, the, the sinlessness, the perfection of Jesus would have not enabled him in any way to come even near our taintedness, our depravity. But it was because his gentleness was so sufficient that it covered over our sin. That Jesus' gentleness, again and again, forgiving and compassionate and merciful, reached out to humanity. In that, we see Jesus' gentleness. So Dane Ortland writes this, Our sinfulness runs so deep that a tepid measure of gentleness, like a lukewarm kind of gentleness from Jesus, would not be enough. But as deep as our sinfulness runs, ever deeper runs His gentleness. That really reminds us. Remember that gentleness gauge we did, the scale of 1 to 10, right? I might be wrong, uh, but I would venture a guess that most of us rated our gentleness thinking about our relationship with people, right? How do you rate yourself in your meekness and gentleness before God? How you relate with God? Meekness towards God is what produces that gentleness in us towards others. You see, I think oftentimes in people who are harsh and not gentle, uh, there is unforgiveness, there's hurt, there is unrepentance. Or we tend to be very rigid, very demanding of ourselves and other people. Um, it's because we don't fully grasp the gentleness of Jesus towards us. We forget. We forget Jesus said, you know, not just, hey, I'm gentle. He said, take my yoke upon you and learn from me. Jesus said to learn from him as he is gentle and lowly. So we are to be gentle and lowly. Again and again, Jesus uh, takes us in to his embrace. Uh, again and again, he covers over us. He rejoices over us. He prays for us. And, and so you get this, if, if he were to be that way to us, how can we respond in any other way but with gentleness towards ourselves and other people for the sake of the world? God is expressly committed to shape us to be like his son. And so this grace to be gentle and meek before him would then produce a gentleness in us towards others that can subvert the culture that we are living in that is full of aggression. How do we develop gentleness in our lives? First, in relation to God, our gentleness can be developed with, in relation to God in terms of being teachable um, and being yielded, being responsive. Think again of the war horse uh, being trained and tamed the browse horse. Um, 
to be teachable before God, uh, to not be presumptuous, uh, to be yielded, basically surrendering to Him what He wants to do. Uh, and that doesn't mean to just take anything, but it does mean to, even in our questioning or perhaps our lament sometimes, uh, we recognize He is still sovereign, right? We still submit to Him, right? Though it's difficult. And to be responsive, um, immediately obedient, like the, like the war horse. Uh, look at 1 Peter 5.5 5 where it says, Likewise you who are younger, be subject to the elders. Clothe yourselves with humility toward one another. For, for God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. You don't want to be on God's wrong side, right? God exalts the humble, but He opposes the proud. Colossians 3.12 says, Put on then, as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate, um, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience. Right? Colossians 3.12. To put it on, uh, as in like, let it be our uh, covering that people see when they look at us. Uh, uh, these clothes that we put on is like putting on the nature of Christ uh, over uh, and uh, above our nature and so that God can then shape and transform us through that being teachable, being yielded, surrendered to Him, uh, being responsive. Um, yeah, and I think just being willing to come under God, God's authority, uh, which is really important uh, in being meek before God. And how about developing gentleness in relation to others, right? We've talked about uh, uh, to God, uh, I think as we do that, we will also then grow in relation to others in humility, uh, in compassion, uh, and in, in, in our speech. Uh, oftentimes, I think in our relationships with each other, uh, with our family or friends, uh, relatives, or even strangers, I think it's good to remember we can practice humility, being humble, uh, in uh, just remembering who we are and what Christ has done for us, right? And the gentleness that He has shown us over and over again to be humble. I think never uh, to think we are superior or above reproach or um, uh, being defensive uh, about things, whether true or not, uh, easily offended. I think being humble kind of keeps us from that and we can practice that. And I think being compassionate, one of the ways to practice that is to practice generosity, like what we've been talking about, practice being kind and generous. Because if we wait and sit around for, okay, I just, I'll be kind when I feel like being kind, uh, it's kind of, uh, well, there's kind of non-committal stance to it, but then I think when we ask God to develop the fruit of kindness in us, it takes kind of that willing effort on our part for His grace to flow through us, to be kind uh, in acts of kindness, to inspire us in acts of kindness, to inspire us in our words of kindness, right? So to be humble, to be compassionate, being slow to speak is very important uh, when we develop gentleness uh, in ourselves. In relation to others, being still to speak, not be too quick to you know, say judgy things, not be too quick to uh, uh, say sometimes even our sarcasm, we have to watch it. Being slow to speak, uh, being someone who is gentle. Sometimes we just want to say it because you know, it's funny or uh, it's just interesting. But if we 
practice a bit more restraint, being slow to speak, actually that helps a lot in our relationships. Proverbs 25 verse 15 says, Through patience a ruler can be persuaded, and a gentle tongue can break a bone. Do you ever come across that? A gentle tongue can break a bone. That's powerful. A guy called Gary Thomas, uh, who's an author of several books, he says, it's the strong hand, not the weak one, that must learn to be gentle. It's the strong hand that must learn to be gentle. And he gave an illustration of how he would hold his daughter's hand uh, and, you know, the, the daughter would try and kind of like say, oh, you know, kind of inflict pain on the daddy's hand for fun, sort of like a game. But she's really, her hand's small, she's not strong enough to inflict any pain. And so he just lets her. Uh, and if he wanted to, he could do triple, four times more the strength that she was exerting on his hand. Uh, but he, he realized at that point a teaching moment for himself. It is a strong hand that must learn to be gentle. I thought that's an interesting illustration. I want to repeat again, if you don't remember anything else from today, is this meekness towards God produces in us meekness towards others that subverts our culture of aggression. Meekness towards God produces in you and I a meekness towards others that has that power to subvert our culture that doesn't thrive on meekness. We'll close really soon, but I wanted to share just a brief story with you and then we'll close in prayer. In the book of Esther, um, we read of how Queen Esther found out through her uncle or her cousin uh, about an evil plot to kill her people, right, the Jews. And if you are not familiar very much with the story, you got to go back and read it. I won't, and you know, we're not going to go through the whole story. But I want to give this picture of how she, as the queen, approached the king. And I thought it's really apt in terms of how we view strength under control, right? And um, the strength under control is when Esther found that out, she said, okay, call the people to fast and pray for me. Um, I'm going to go and approach the king. And so then she strategized this entire plan, how she'd go about it, uh, make sure that she brought it to the king's attention, who had the power to reverse the decree by that evil guy, Haman. And so Queen Esther devised this plan after fasting for three days, uh, day and night, no food, no drink, and some prayer to invite the king and his right-hand man, Haman, the evil guy, to the dinner. She enters, in Esther chapter 5, she enters the king's hall, the royal throne. She approaches the throne. Now, we understand that at that time, or I mean, if you have read the previous chapters, you're not allowed to do that unless the king calls for you. But so she understood her place. So she approached with care, and I mean, thankfully, the king was pleased to see her, right? The king was pleased and held out to her the gold scepter. And so that's a, a, like a sign, a symbol that you, know, you are free to approach me, the king would say. So then the king says, what is your request? Even up to half the kingdom, it will be given you. Esther displays amazing meekness. 
uh, in my opinion, that is the word is not used there, but you read it, you get the sense that, she, yeah, it, she would approach with meekness. She said, if it pleases the king, come to a banquet I have prepared, right? And so the story goes on to say she hosted the king for dinner for two nights, and uh, every time the king would say, uh, "What is your request?" Just ask, I will give it. And and uh, I think it's a great lesson to learn. I think oftentimes uh, in our difficulty in cultivating being gentle and being meek, uh, is to just remember uh, that we are uh, we can approach the king, we can appeal for the king who alone has the power to fight for us. It is God alone who really has that power to change things, to change circumstances, to change people, to change policies, to change whatever problems, to solve uh, problems and change circumstances. Only God. And when we approach and we come in intercession like that, we come knowing our place and we come with meekness and we appeal to God as the King, we appeal to Him uh, as, as the one who's ultimate pow ultimately powerful. Uh, we, we come and we leverage on that by appealing to Him and placing ourselves submitted to His authority. And we come to God with meekness and that in turn changes things and subverts the decree of the evil one. I think that's an amazing illustration that I was reminded of. Um, that I feel that God is just calling some of us, I think as we hear this, you may feel, mm, I don't really have an issue with meekness or being gentle. I think, but as you think further into it, I think you'll begin to see there are areas in your life that you do have trouble being gentle in, right? And God, perhaps today, is just calling and issuing a call to us, would you come to me? and appeal to me as your king? Would you come to me and submit yourself under my authority and see my power come into your situation and speak for you and fight for you and reverse things for you and change situations for you? Things that are way beyond our control, things that are way beyond what we can strategize for and plan for, we cannot foresee, we cannot guarantee in any way, but God alone can change things. And this is the God that we trust today. And this is God who calls us today to develop this gentleness, to learn from Him because He is gentle and lowly in heart. That's our Jesus. I want to invite you, uh, wherever you are in your, in your living room or um, maybe you're on the go, wherever you are, you, as you're listening to this, uh, what is God's invitation to you? Some of you, maybe you're listening to this and uh, perhaps it's the first time and you're like, oh, I want to know who this Jesus is. I'm not sure that I have a relationship with him. I've heard about him. Uh, I don't really know who he is. I just want to invite you. Uh, we have people who would love to stay back after this to pray with you. Look out for the announcements in the comments. And, and, and uh, we would love to connect you and, and with you and pray for you. Um, and some of us, we're just hearing this and you know God is highlighting an area in your life uh, where somehow you just feel like you want to respond to God in that area. 
uh, there's no specific call, but I do sense that there are some of us we need to respond to God even from something that jumped out of you from this message. So whatever it is, you just feel like you want to respond. Uh, I would really encourage you to just grab hold of like you know someone in the prophetic room just to pray with you, and you know just to be in agreement and in prayer and pray over you as you share that uh, to the level you're comfortable. Just respond to God, you know, by faith uh, at the end of the service. I'll just say a prayer and then we'll end. God, we just thank you that you are God who is not just powerful and majestic. You are God who uh, is right here on the dirt ground with us in, our, in the nitty-gritty of our lives, uh, in, the, in, the, in the dark and light places of our hearts. And God, we uh, look to you and we say, you are our King. Uh, we want to grow just in submission and in yieldedness to you. Just like, you know, uh, uh, those who, at the sound of your voice, and just able to just respond uh, to your call and your voice uh, and your invitation. And so this morning, we ask that um, may your grace just continue to lead us deeper into your heart that is so gentle and so lowly towards us. And may we really receive just greater revelation and greater insight and just go deeper and just knowing your heart for us. And so we know that in your gentleness, uh, we turn and we learn to be meek towards you. And in turn, that produces uh, a heart for others that is compassionate, that is humble, uh, so that it changes us and it changes others' lives too, for your kingdom's sake. Uh, and, and for many who don't know you. And so we pray all this uh, in the name of Jesus, who is gentle and lowly. Amen.